I don't know about you, but I'm definitely alive. I, I'm, a, I'm alive and kicking. I pinched myself this morning, confirmed sure. it. We're good. I got my 5G shot today. I'm actually more in tune with Microsoft now. Like, I nice. I, I've got the power of Bill Gates flowing. Yes. <laughs> I actually know active better now. And what's weird is I now hear like old school TV signals at five gigahertz in my head. <laughs> that is you know, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Do you do high definition TV as well or no? No, no high definition is like a completely different frequency. Uh, <laughs> remember, 5G is old school television. So like if I wince... I can hear cheers. Storm. <laughs> so you see that you hear the prices right, like constantly, constantly, now. just going gotcha. on a loop, going on a loop. And it's it's only the part where he says, "Get your pets spayed and neutered." Yeah, that that's oh, <laughs> only shit. the welcome, part. Welcome only to hell. Part. By the way, great shirt choice today, Ryan. I see. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic way to show that corporate spirit. Yeah, Ralph is Ralph is the one who's who's out of character today. He's, I know. Right? Yeah, I'm actually wearing a polo, wearing. which is totally not me normally. So I, I used to wear a polo every day. So now, like when I put one on, I'm like, I'm dressing up today. Look at this, honey. It's yeah. a collar. It's a collar. You seen one of these? Business on top, party in the bottom. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> wearing way, pants. Rob, I love your chair. By the way, like how old is that thing? Oh man, he's went through a lot <laughs> since I was still in the Marine Corps. Oh, oh my god, my god. Like, that's a testament to your camera, by the way, that we can yeah. see. <laughs> it's getting up there it will not stay up so you know how you can lift chairs up and down like <laughs> so you're doing this all day. if i do this it will slowly go like that do you have, do you have any posture issues like back issues or not like or it's no, just good enough? No, yeah? no yeah. issues i have horrible posture i'm slouching all the time and i never sit i stand all the time so. mm. I've been asking my wife, pretty please, for a new chair for years now, and I think I'm wearing her down eventually. Like we'll get there. Uh, oh, maybe four, four or five, four or five more years. I'll oh, get a new man. chair. I, I just Dude, started just gotta... a big old chat on on Teams about chairs today. Yeah, yeah. some yeah. shopping too. Oh yeah, I, I did that right before the pandemic. Horrible idea, dude. Like when I ordered yeah. the chair, they're like, "Oh, maybe next year." Uh, whenever whenever we get to chairs i mean we we're sold out pretty much yeah, there were there were a lot still sold out is, everything is tax deductible it's like no fun mm -hmm. it's like getting a new computer is just I, I got a little bit excited with the arcade cabinet because that was a tax deduction and nice. that, that was fun but i don't know the joy out of buying new things like chairs and office equipment yeah that 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 shit's gone like there's no, there's no I, I'm Slurms McKenzie from Futurama whenever it comes to buying technology these days. Yeah. Mm. My, my wife's like, does the chair work? Can you sit in it? You don't need a new one. You don't need it. Does your back hurt? <laughs> it's not important. Can you see a spring? No? Okay, good. You got, you got to get the most ergonomic the chair, chair functions. You keep it. I got to like start just digging into it with my life or something and, and make it not non-functional at some point. I'm sure that'll help your marriage. <laughs> so like walking in with you cutting a chair up into tons of slicing and icing. I like uh, Wizpo just said, thanks COVID for getting rid of the dress code. Thank God for that. Not that we ever had a dress code at VHIS. So. I was going to say also the commute, but didn't have that either. I did go out today. That's why I'm wearing a polo. And I noticed traffic has increased. <laughs> and pants. And yeah. pants, yeah. <laughs> Lots of other all, things, yeah. Pretty much all of our neighbors to the business and the neighbors and people that I live next to, they all think I'm a drug dealer. 
because I have <laughs> nice things and I have lots of land and I don't appear to do anything. Like, he he doesn't all. leave the house very often and, and he's I always on the phone. phone. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's either that or they think I'm into like, you know, like, like porn or something. You know, they're going to have a porn studio or something. I don't know. It's just, I, my neighbors, they, they pull their kids away from us when we drive by. It's awesome. Mm. Good times. Sounds All right. Cool. Are we ready to start this thing? Let's, Let's roll. It. I got something brand new. This is the first time I, I'm going to try it here. Let's see what Ooh. you think of it. God, Ryan sounds phenomenal. Okay, so seriously, after that, it doesn't matter what we do, it's going to be a letdown. <laughs> that was Ryan, awesome. You've completely like outstripped. I don't have a lighter. Uh, yeah, have a lighter going. You make it more? Now I feel like, like I should be minutes. wearing a collar. <laughs> and I, I finished it right before we started setting up for this. Oh, oh perfect. God, you crushed it again. <laughs> just once, just once, I want you to make me regret hiring you. Um, <laughs> Why would I want to do that? Just, just one time would be so cool. So uh, welcome, everybody, to today's episode of BHIS is Talking About News. Um, I have no idea what the news stories are today because I've been a slacker for the past two weeks and basically have been heads down in resumes and hiring new testers. So there'll be some more information about that, I'm sure. On the Twitterverse, it's something because nothing stays secret these days. But I'm joined today by, I, I guess we're just going to officially call it co-host Ralph is with us. Also, the other co-host is Mubix or Rob Fuller. And then, of course, Ryan, the person who pulls all of this together and makes us look far better than we have any right to, is also on with us. And his mic, by the way, is just silky smooth. I, I can't believe how good it actually sounds. That's sounds just like butter. It's just, just I gotta licked. make it look. I gotta make it. I gotta make it all good. Or otherwise, again, why did yeah. you hire me? But if I'm not exactly. the best of all of you guys, yeah, I, keep I shouldn't be here. I ask myself that question at some point in the future. <laughs> so I have no idea what the news stories are. What's the, what, what do we have queued up for news stories today, guys? Um, I've got some from Ralph here. Yeah, we've got a couple uh, news stories we can kind of elaborate can on. Can go to the IRS one? That one looked good. And I've got IRS. a story about that, <laughs> fishing one. Okay, go ahead and set this one up. Yeah, so uh, I kind of picked this one out today because I noticed they were talking about fishing, which is one of my favorite topics. And th not just that, but this is really about personalized fishing with uh, job lures, okay? So I had a long conversation with uh, Bo about this, and we were talking about fishing via LinkedIn. And one of the big conversations that we actually had is whether that's in scope when we're doing a targeted assessment, right? And obviously, malicious actors don't care about that one bit, okay? But that is the new attack path for a lot of um, malicious threat actors and just overall looking to monetize on some of these social media platforms and anything like that to conduct phishing and go outside of the security controls inside of conventional organizations. And that's really kind of what this article is about. They're just talking about, you know, offering up a fake job offer or some other way to either get them to do something or get them to open a file. And, and these um, malicious threat actors are actually have like a whole campaign built around this where they have these job offers that have malicious payloads and they take that and then, you know, run with it to, to gain access to these people's systems. So, I mean, it's it's pretty interesting and there's a lot to unpack with that with like what we should be doing and if we should be using that in our attacks uh, not the just using linkedin I, mean, I think that's kind of the first question i have for everybody so i think we always use linkedin right but we don't use linkedin as a delivery mechanism for the attack 
Most yep. of the time, what we're doing is we use LinkedIn to actually find the target and then we email that person. Or the other thing that we do is we scrape LinkedIn to actually find targets to actually spearfish. So as far as actually using LinkedIn as a delivery mechanism, I don't know. Uh, it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, I suppose, because I feel like we pushed the LinkedIn security team like <laughs> far enough. Uh, Rob, what are your thoughts on <laughs> I have moral concerns about it. Um, okay. So, uh, uh, LinkedIn is essentially my personal slash professional account, right? I might, yeah. I don't advise it, but for like disclosure reasons, but like I might have my, you know, work email attached to it. So work people can find me on it. I don't, I don't do that, but, and I don't suggest others, but a lot of people do, but that doesn't mean it's a work asset, right? And so pen testing slash phishing team, I think is, I would never do that as a, an attacker paid to attack just because that's mm. messing with someone's personal stuff. That's just like, you know, phishing to someone's personal email. That's what I accounted to, which sucks because it's a great avenue that, that real attackers are obviously using as phishing opportunities. And it's really hard because it's that gray area that we can't as, you know, company owners or, or organizations say you, you can't, you know, check LinkedIn at work. Like that's, <laughs> It's our that ship has sailed, right? So, and it's not a corporate asset. So, how do you, how as as professionals, you know, security professionals and defense team, I'm you know, I'm sporting my blue team shirt today. How do you, um, how do you defend against that? That's that's my question. And I think that's a I think that's a great question because what yeah. is the lesson that can be learned? How do you actually improve behaviors? You know, I'm always talking about pen testing is not a technical exercise at its heart. It really isn't. Penetration testing is more a political exercise of actually demonstrating risk through actual link for that attack one. vectors. And what do you do to a customer? It's like, we were able to spearfish you through LinkedIn. Now what? <laughs> like, do well, we just stop using LinkedIn? I mean, is that an answer that you tell your employees? I don't so think that's viable. So in this conversation that we had, we brought up some of these things. And I'll dive into one thing that I kind of thought about. And, and that is, is the... The employee is in scope for the engagement, right? And what I was trying to you know, say in this conversation is that really, I think it comes down to intent. So if you get that user, for example, to click a link that would be a company login to um, their site and you capture credentials like that, and you use LinkedIn as the delivery message to send that uh, outside of the conventional controls, then, I mean, I think that's pretty much a fair play. But if you mm. take that same system or take that same LinkedIn account and, you know, drop a, send them a, a malicious document and they open it up on their personal computer, now we, we've crossed over, right? Like I'm not, you know, testing them. And then the other big thing, is that are we uh, another thing we bring up when we do any kind of social engineering engagement is that user awareness, right? So, you know, was the user, uh, you know, aware of these kind of vulnerabilities or, you know, this kind of attack and so on and so forth? Now, I, I kind of think that's kind of not really hitting the whole picture when you just say, well, if your user was just smarter, everything could be fixed, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not, it's not fair because it, you don't really have any technical controls to back that up. But I mean, all of those things kind of go into it. And then the last thing I want to bring into is smishing as well. So texting 
uh, social social engineering phishing. It, are those in scope because they're using their own personal device? Well, I mean, some employees pay for those devices too, or maybe you know they pay half their cell phone bill or whatever. So wh- where do we draw the line? I think there's a lot of gray area here too. <laughs> but I think it's kind of the goal of the rules of engagement and scoping call to try to define those bounds. For so sure. I want to give an example outside of LinkedIn on how something similar can go horribly wrong. Uh, we were pen testing a company a number of years ago. I remember Derek was on this test. And um, what happened in this engagement is the company had a web portal. And as an employee, you could log into the web portal and then you could submit help desk tickets. So we logged in, we actually brute forced credentials or through password spraying, gained access to the customer portal. And then once we were in the customer portal, we attacked the help desk by sending in a malicious document saying, hey, I'm having trouble opening this document on my computer. Can you please look at it and see if it opens up on your computer? And then the um, help desk opened that document. And then we ended up spawning a shell back. Unfortunately, it wasn't at the customer's location. What the customer didn't tell us is that they were using a third-party vendor in, mm-hmm. for their help desk support. So we actually ended up taking over this entire help desk organization instead of the target. And, <laughs> and, and granted, we had to talk to the customer and the customer's like, oh God, we should have told you that. Oh yeah. Um, but it was all the customer's domain. It was the customer's website. It was, it was all built into this customer portal for sure. self-support for employees. But that kind of gets into that unintended consequence, right? And whenever you're going and you're spearfishing, there's this reasonable assumption that you're going to land on a corporate computer, right? If you're going through LinkedIn, just like Rob said, there's a reasonable assumption that you're going to end up on their home computer or on their phone or on another device. So that's why these things need to be clearly defined in scope. And to be honest, I would probably take two or three big steps back from using LinkedIn as a delivery mechanism to actually get someone to open up documents. So, you know, I agree. It's something the attackers are definitely going to go after. No question. But once again, there's legal boundaries. And I, you know, the handful of times that we've gained access to a personal computer at BHIS over the past 13 years, those are uncomfortable conversations with people, especially when they start asking like, what did you get access to on my computer? What did you see? And it's like, Nothing, man. <laughs> nothing, nothing. I saw nothing. I don't want to be part of any of this. So did you guys listen to, and if you haven't, you should listen to the Darknet Diaries about the LinkedIn, LinkedIn hack, right? No, I haven't listened to that one yet. Okay. So I listened to the whole thing. It's super, super, uh, super interesting, right? And obviously it's really interesting in the way that uh, he describes it. And also the fact that it's all closed up, right? The whole uh, people who were involved got charged. But the only thing I want to bring up with that, and not to spoil any of it, is that the way they got into LinkedIn, right? So the way they got into LinkedIn was through a LinkedIn employee's personal website, okay? So, but he was hosting that personal website on his own computer. In turn, it was a virtual machine that he had on his uh, system. After they were able to compromise that site, that same machine, right? That same machine that he was hosting was on uh, also on LinkedIn's VPN, which they in turn utilized to gain access to LinkedIn as the administrator, right? And move through there. Wait, 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 sorry. How on earth do you host a web page? It's a virtual machine. Page in yep. a virtual machine yep. while you're on VPN. So that's, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, he wasn't connected. 
Yeah, yeah. He, he had it, it. Split tunneling would work fine with that too. Yeah. So, Brandon, wow. I think what your head is exploding on is none of this is a good thing. No, no, right? none like, of this is a good no thing. One's like this is the proper way to host a website. So, like, in, in no, addition, you're hosting a website on a VM on your own laptop too. Like, yes. oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my god. Get so, pages, all the things, please. It was the point the point I was bringing up. Oh no, yeah, there's so there's so much more of this that goes on and I absolutely recommend anybody who's interested in just that piece to continue to listen to the whole thing. But the really thing I just wanted to bring up was that that attack vector, right? Their own device. And I well, I absolutely agree with you, John, about the scope of an engagement and whether you should be doing that or not, and I don't want to be have any part of that. All I am saying though, as defenders, okay? You need to be ready for this, okay? Because yeah. even though what he did was retarded and stupid, you your threat <laughs> vector. Use the word, but... <laughs> that's what I hate about threat modeling and threat intel. They're like, well, we need to model what an actual threat actor is. And almost none of those threat models are developer doing something stupid. If that's yeah. not in your yeah. threat model, you need to revisit your threat model. So, or, yeah, me... Well, okay, so... I would remove the retarded word. I'd remove the stupid word. Um, <laughs> Probably say, a good idea. Good idea. I would say that employee doing something insecure, like that, ha- that would be how I would threat model this. Like, have an employee, you know, you know, he put- was a technical and he was like engineer level. That's why he had a lot of access oh. to that. Also, yeah, but- was, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not defending, or I'm just telling you what his position was. In the organization, I like how we push Ralph to the point where he thinks he's like, no, 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 I'm not defending this. I'm not. I'm, not I'm just saying, like, like just because you might be the principal code monkey at a company doesn't mean that you have, you know, a security mindset. Like, you know how hard it is to find a good pen tester, right? Like someone yeah. who has that mindset all the time. So think of like, why would it be? easier to find it in like software developers no, so not. true right so all true. i'm saying is like true yes it was not great from a security point of view but mm-hmm. from a from a practicality sysops point of view it got the job done yeah yeah, yeah. It did. and, and yeah. the way the way they ended up catching him or in something that actually kind of rolled out later on in the years of our, you know, what we look for in our threat model is he was connecting to after he got uh, access, he in turn got the credentials from the system and he started connecting into LinkedIn's VPN from Russia. <laughs> that became, you know, something you really yeah. should be worried <laughs> about. Right? Yeah. Geolocking is a big thing. Uh, yeah. I hope that more companies do that more and just um, it's I, it's rolling out to more VPNs as a a flip on option these days which is great but it's still it's just slow like not very many places are doing it yet we had an employee and she still works with us uh subcontracting and this is a this is kind of an unintended consequence of like geofencing and ip addresses and things like that so we actually i didn't know that we had done this but it was just an option and one of our administrators turned it on and it basically shut down access from russia ukraine and a whole bunch of former eastern Bloc countries and she was ukrainian and that did not go well. Like, you know, she left something <laughs> and her family back home would be like, we can't get to this Black Hills information security website. So, yeah, I think it's a good idea from a security perspective, but sometimes there's unintended consequences. By the way, I have a I mean, story I want to tell. Ryan, can you scroll up to the top on this one, talking about spear phishing engagements and stuff? And it has the IRS right there. 
Mm-hmm. So it, it's funny. I tell a whole bunch of stories about BHIS, and I'm sure that it's just pushing people over the edge to be like, I'm never working with that firm. Um, so we actually did a spearfish, and this gets into some like some additional kind of moral ambiguity, and we've never done it again. We did one of our spearfishes for one of our customers about, I would say, nine years ago, where we impersonated the IRS website and hosting forms and then telling people they had to update their W-2. So the spearfish was we'd shoot in an email to this organization purporting to be from HR and saying, hey, you have to go download a new W-2 from the IRS. By the way, helpful link below for you to go (laughs) and download said helpful form from the Internal Revenue Service. And then, of course, it had malware in it, right? And this worked, like, really, really well. However... It worked right up into the point that the IRS actually uh-huh. found our website online. And they were able to trace back who actually bought the website, bought the domain. I ended up getting a phone call while I was teaching a uh-huh. SANS conference in San Diego from the IRS. And they, it was like they had this internal law enforcement division, and they were <laughs> not happy. Um, they were talking about charges. You can't impersonate a government website. You can't do this. Why are you hosting malware? And I'm like, I'm going to jail. I'm going to jail. And it's Tim Tomes's fault, which by the way, this wasn't the first nor the last time that that thought went through my head. Um, I'm joking. Tim's great. But um, the only thing that saved my ass was I actually had three students from the IRS's security team in my Ooh. class that I was literally like, I remember seeing name badges and I'm running around the room and I'm like, you, uh, go outside. I need to talk to you right now. And the whole thing was like, hey, just shut the website down and don't ever do that again. I'm like, absolutely. I'll never do that again. So I got a question. Is that pushing the line as far as like, I, I know it pissed off the IRS, right? Bad idea. Mm. Never do it. Don't recommend it. <laughs> once again, however, <laughs> It was it, was it really a good example? Well. It was a yeah. good. I would say anything that deals with anything related to HR is a bad is bad morally from my point of view. If you're dealing with pay, leave, benefits, W nines, W twos, that's just me. I think that messing with people's like livelihood is is out of scope in my point of view. For the government standpoint, yeah, anything to do with the government, just don't do it, okay? Because yeah. they can find you. If they will if they subpoena Google, you're done, dude. They will find. There's no way to hide in this scenario, okay? Like <laughs> every time, they will win every time. And obviously, I mean, did, you, did you really expect the IRS not to be able to get past all of the like yeah. <laughs> um, purchase of an account? Like they have all records of every purchase. Like it's really not something Ugh. that you can hide behind there. Yeah. So anything to do with the government, just don't even do it because, you know, obviously they can send it right to the FBI. The FBI can call whoever they want to get any documentation after they get the subpoena for that information. So it, they're going to be and, and a lot of times we we don't care. Right. We're not we're not hiding what we're doing. We're like, oh, yep. you caught us. But to them, though, they're like it, they think this is a real attack in some sort and they're going to find everything and triage everything. So I guess it's just I guess my point was it's just that it's not worth it, even though I agree with you. It's a good attack scenario. Yeah, but it, it is. it's weird because people have a hard time backing off, right? Yeah. So if they're like, this is evil, this is a hacker, we need to take mm-hmm. it down. It's like, no, no, no I'm a pen tester. I still want to kill. Like, it's very hard for people to go from, you know, burn all the things to, oh, we're cool. 
I got well, that's up. because that's because they've already reported it up and they have yeah, to answer that, to right? So if, if I say to my my manager, hey, I'm tracking down this, you know, malicious actor that that is purportedly faking that they're the IRS, we're going to take them down. Um, I need, you know, 17 more resources from our, our legal department, two resources from our uh, enforcement department. Like mm-hmm. that's money that they are spending. So they have to account for that. They can't just go, ah. It was a couple of pen testers. We're going to just yeah. call it all off. Like, yeah. It's pretty money spent. It doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. I've been very lucky in that regard a number of times. All right. What's, what, do we have any other stories? What do we oh, have? yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So uh, <laughs> I guess let's, let's talk about the, uh, the crypto mining here. So, oh, what I think is, yeah. So, what I think is interesting about this is obviously, I love crypto. Are you interested in crypto mining? I can't I understand know. that at all. This attack is pretty interesting. So, what okay. they're doing is they're using GitHub. And they're using GitHub Actions. GitHub Actions, simply put, is oh, a way fantastic. to run some kind of um, like function, uh, you know, to do something on server side. Okay, a lot of times it's to build some code and other things like that. Well, GitHub Actions are free processing time. So what they did is they created some malicious actions to actually run crypto miners on GitHub servers. <laughs> wow, <laughs> and they would make a pull request to a big popular repo. And even though that pull request wasn't accepted, it wasn't accepted, so it never made it into their code, GitHub would automatically start running it to make sure that that Yeah, to do the unit test. Yes, the unit test, exactly. Any any freaking GitHub repo that had unit tests, you could, and you Uh knew what it was testing, you could, oh my gosh, this is genius. It's evil, but genius. And so they started crypto mining on uh, GitHub's uh, dollar, right? And, uh, you know, the, it, much- it was all automated. When we have automated repo building and all this other stuff, which I've set up before, it's great. But yeah, um, GitHub kind of got oh. burned on this one. So is this just one of those? I mean, is the lesson from this not to run un- untrusted code? I mean, it's... <laughs> you, can't, you have to do unit tests on, on pull requests. <sighs> It, and it, there was actually a great talk. Sorry, there's a there was a really good talk about um, exploiting these um, at DefCon two three years ago. Exploiting all the CI/CD pipelines from GitHub to what is the other one? Not Jerry Jenkins, uh, J something. Travis T. Travis, Travis CI, Circle CI. All of those actually had bugs where you could get secrets and stuff and run code. And some, which was really fantastic, I definitely um, uh, suggest going to look at this talk. There was uh, a targets where he had in his GitHub repo for this thing where you could put in certain CI configurations. And because it's running in a Docker image inside of corporate networks, sometimes like some people put actions. So GitHub runs their actions in virtualization away from GitHub Prime or Enterprise, right? But some people put their actions even on GitHub when they do Travis CI or Circle CI or other CI pipelines yeah, inside their corporate help. network, yep. right? Oh, and so no. you're running inside their corporate network. And so when you talk about phishing, what what, what would this be called? CI shishing? Shishing? <laughs> right? So yeah. uh, get them to accept a pull request. Yeah, I mean you, you can accept it. Like they do the tests on yeah. pull requests, right? Yeah. So like they have to say, okay, your pull request didn't change enough code to break anything so we're gonna we're gonna look at it so i mean you can just add a line to like a a, you know an eval or whatever or add an extra line to an eval and if those tests still work like that code is executing somewhere to do those tests 
Yeah. And the reason you can run it on your own infrastructure is to offload that. So like you don't have to pay, like you're only allowed to run so many actions and so on in GitHub, they kind of limit you. Now, that's why these attackers were t- are, t- are targeting much larger organizations that would have a lot of resources in GitHub, right? But to your point, Rob, you can run this locally and I have set up stuff like that. And you have to know that anytime a pull or anytime an automatic build would run just off a pull, whether you accept it or not, that that system probably should be in its really as, as much isolation as possible, right? You mean it shouldn't be AD joined? Ah, question. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, should it at least have access to the VPN? Because that just seems absolutely. like... Absolutely. Well, I mean, I it mean, makes it easier. It's the website. If you're going to test your web server, it has to have be on the VPN. It has to. I mean, this is this is DevOps period, right? This is how yep. the whole cycle works. And you know, when they say we're testing, you know, I, I'm test I'm testing in production, but they they have this whole cycle where they're deving it, running it, connecting it to all the same VPNs, and then running the code, and then finally moving into production. The moving into production part is more just like we've already ran it a bunch of times, and so that security model and how fast that's going, and the fact that it's automated is is going to blow up in your face, right? You got to be careful. Have have either of you ever played with any of the the Jenkins slash Artifactory slash GitHub integrations on tests? No, because those those old. those are fantastic, right? Yeah, because, I, I've played with the uh, Artifactory before, right? And so it, Jenkins especially. Oh yeah, Jake, Jenkins has all the creds, right? Yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's the solar winds of DevOps. Oh yeah, yeah I like how I like how Rob finds any technology that has lots of access and lots of creds, and that's just where he goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a black hole for Rob. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the other place is internal Git repos, right? Whenever I see oh, Jira, oh, my yeah. eyes just light up. I'm just like, oh, this is amazing. They they have to write about what problems they have. It's full of creds. Nobody oh, will ever ask for creds in these comments. Never once. That now that is something that I'm fully on board with is phishing via the trouble tickets. Oh, that yeah. that is absolutely in scope and very very fun. Mm, I, I just one. think that'll work. It works every time. Well. especially if they're using some kind of uh, outsourced, you know, trouble ticketing system or whatever. It works every time. Right up into the point that they have a third party group managing it, and you take over their systems instead. Fifty percent of the time, it'll work every time. Every time. So absolutely. Have you uh, on that? Sorry, one more on that. Have you ever asked for access to a server using a trouble ticketing system? Yes. Without having, without being like allowed to have access to that server and got, got it allowed. God, what was it years ago? Um, I can't remember. There was a company that had a bunch of Active Directory uh, modules and things like that. And they asked us to, one of our customers asked us to look at their implementation of their identity and access management system. And of course, through force browsing, you could make a request and then you could go and approve that request. Basically... (laughs) If you looked at, at, the, at the burp data, whenever it came back, it would say, you know, approved zero or approved one. And you could just be like, well, I'll flip that to one. And bingo, all of a sudden the creds would show up um, in your portal. It was a bad system. I mean, it, that, that was one of the bad things. The other bad thing was it used the exact same administrator and root password to authenticate to everything. So nice. once you got that password, you had full access to absolutely everything. So yes, I have done that but i've never actually requested it legitimately and then had a manager approve it and just let me in that's oh no that's it's great that's happened to, yeah not yet so, so so orlando in the in the comments said um work order fishing whooshing that's <laughs> great. Work, work order fishing i like that 
Are we really <laughs> going to call it smishing though? Like SMS uh, phishing? Is uh, that, I don't know. Like that's already a thing, unfortunately. Yeah, it's already a thing. I, I didn't make this up, you know. This I know wasn't you did. I know, but you're just perpetuating a bad thing. Um, okay, so okay. Should right. what should it be? What should it be? I don't know. I'm just saying we can do better <laughs> as an industry. Our names could be so much it, better. It's not worse than vishing. Vishing. Oh, you're right. It's not worse than that. Mm, it's true. <sighs> what are the other stories we got? Yeah, we got a, another one too. So. What about pwn to own? So that's going on this week right now for everybody who doesn't know. And this is, yeah, this is the um, event where everybody who's already been working on a bunch of exploits gets to show them off. And it's usually for a lot, a lot of money. There were a bunch of stuff that's already happened in the first day. I believe there was another Microsoft Exchange full chain authentication bypass and local privilege escalation for exchange this yep. is yeah that that I, happened again <laughs> and I, then i, I like the teams i'm sorry i like the teams one that one's more interesting to me yeah, yes um because it was a windows a, 10 one there no was, i didn't there i didn't a windows windows 10 10 one. well okay yeah, go so, ahead and tell us about the teams one i want to hear about that one so from what I read, and I could be wrong, uh, I'm still reading about this, but from the bullet points on this that I read, the Teams one, all you did was build a, a Teams on a server or whatever they call it, system yourself. So you have your own Teams, you have your own setup, you have a, your corporate, whatever. And then what you do is is con- like have a message be sent through your Teams to your own messaging on Teams. But change the again. I forget the name of it. The it's an ID or something for each team's server or setup for each company. You yeah. change that ID and it sends to the other other server. A tenant ID. Tenants. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So it, like you can send messages to other tenants and have it execute as any user because that tenant doesn't map to the same ID oh, for your user as it does over on the other tenant. So. You're basically getting access to and sending as whoever you want in any other tenant you want, as long as you can get the tenant ID. Uh, get ready, everybody. Teams hacking is going to be huge. All right. Like yeah. the more companies decide that you want to use Teams, the more it's going to be the target. And it's oh, man, yeah. tore up, man. Just like um, Slack did, right? When yep. Slack became super popular, people mm-hmm. started pushing all kinds of slack bugs right you know it's weird though about slack is like slack was the thing and and you looked at skype and it was the thing and then covid was always kind of crappy sorry um anyway yeah but it really was i mean but that's what people did for video conferencing and zoom do you know why do you want to know why they did that like, i'd love to know like yeah, why because it was included it's free that's why teams is so big you don't pay yeah. an extra subscription to get teams it's just part of the it's part of the package so you're saying that being a, a monopolistic monopoly. <laughs> to your business plan I, hmm. th- there is some thought that monopolies more. help yeah yeah so but, um, I do Wait, agree. And like Teams is about to get is about to get smoked, but like Exchange has been out there for a long time, and it looks like they got another attack on Exchange. But this is kind yeah. of like once the attack community finds something, whether it's in the Adobe Acrobat or Java or Exchange or any of these different things, it just basically is like a dinner bell for everybody else <laughs> to kind of swarm onto that technology. And I think that's just what we're going to see, especially with Exchange. Yeah, especially you know, the price. I, I didn't see it, Pondone. 
Solar Winds. I bet the everyone <laughs> over at Solar Winds is like, Wah. you know. Now Love wait a minute. News. I thought if you're a company, if you're part of Pwn to Own, you have to kind of volunteer to be part of a Pwn to Own. Right? <laughs> this is true. But yes, you can't you see do. Solar yes. Winds at their current stage being like, you know what, guys? After what just happened, let's, let's bring throw all it in. Our products out there and let's just let's let it rip. See what happens. No, if I was the CISO over there, I probably would just because, uh, because it makes awesome. sense. But you can't see like C-O's agreeing with you. They're like, this is true. Rob is not a good cultural (laughs) All he wants to do is improve things and ruin our stock. Ruin it. That's it. That's it. I wanted to ask you guys about the Windows 10 local privilege escalation vulnerability. If you go back like five, six years ago, a lot of those local privesque vulnerabilities, they'd be some of them would go for like seventy thousand dollars on the open market. This one, they earned forty thousand. Is is the value of a local privilege escalation vulnerability in Windows going down over time? I guess, right? I mean, if it was so hard, it would be worth more. I know, for example, and not even to slightly change the subject, but iOS um, vulnerabilities have actually gone down in price, even though it is difficult to do because more of them started coming out. So, yeah. So do you think it's because more privilege escalation bugs are coming out or the just the overall price of things are going down? Well, no, I think the market. So like, because a lot of these vulnerabilities, they're getting bought, okay? Sure. And before they go to pwn to own and other stuff like that. And they don't talk about the fact that they bought this certain, what do you call it, vulnerability. But what they do is they change the price they're willing to pay for another one of those, right? When you got 10 of them, you know... Don't need as many more, so I'm going to lower that price down, right? Yeah. When you when you have ten of them, you space them out. That way, you get more money. <laughs> That's a wise thing to do. Of course, one of the individuals, the researcher, code execution and teams, and it looks like he he or she or they have already made two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. That's awesome. The so only that, thing that wasn't hacked, even though it was offered, was automotive. It's a free Tesla if you win. I think it was uh, up to $600,000 to hack the Tesla. Um, nobody competed this year, it sounds like, though. That's weird. Yeah. I mean, weird. Tesla has been throwing gobs of money at their security team, right? So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, imagining that they're getting pretty good over there when it comes to the um, the car. I mean, they've Tesla's been... A, a hacker target at two defcons before we went we went into covid stuff like i i would imagine they're doing okay now like they're like they're getting to a good spot so well, i think but that's a company that has probably demonstrated the risk benefit analysis of having an internal team or hiring people to do that type of testing yeah. right as soon as one of their cars hits someone like a pedestrian in the middle of the night who's wearing dark clothing while the driver is texting on their phone, that's like huge news. Their stock gets hit and they can actually quantify the financial loss for something like that. So I I can see them being like, so how much is security going to cost us? A billion dollars? Yeah, we'll take that. That sounds like a good deal. Uh, I mean, because they know that if somebody can remotely take over Tesla cars and start driving them off the road, that's going to have a huge financial impact to the company. They get that risk. So they yeah, must have a CISO like Rob there. It's like, let's just <laughs> YOLO. put it out there, everybody. Let's see what happens. Put it out. We did have some ransomware articles, oh, but God. I was not actually going to bring them up as ransomware. Is there anything I was... new and interesting in them? Um... <laughs> no, actually, I'm just calling it the ransomware hit list. 
And these are just the, uh, uh, you know, who's recently gotten ransomware. We don't even have to talk about. Well, let's why. go through the companies at least. I mean, that's always worth something. So who yes. got hit now? Yeah. So the first one is actually a university, if I'm not mistaken. So MSU was compromised. Missouri, via, right? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was the Monsters University. Excuse me, it's it's That's Michigan. MU. It's Michigan State University. Oh, it's sorry. MU. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> yeah. I guess they got comprom or they got ransomware via a Ohio law firm, right? So who you associate with could oh. be how you get ransomware. Okay. Can you imagine being the lawyer having to defend yourself against <laughs> lawyers for? I don't know. We, we do a lot of work for law firms, and I, I've got to be honest. I'm real nervous every time we start a test with a law firm, every single time. Like their tolerance for anything is just like zero. It's like, but we took over a whole bunch of users and did this. It's like, wow. I, I watched the College Admission like, documentary just recently, and there was some pretty high level, like very respectable lawyers uh-huh. who got caught up in that. So really? I mean, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's wild because they have all of the tapes. There's the transcripts, a reenactment of the transcripts. And like, they're like asking, are you sure? I'm like, you're a lawyer. Do your research. Oh, never mind. Do your it's, research. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then uh, the other one is good old Florida, Florida man. Another, Florida man. It had yeah, to be no. Florida man. <laughs> it's a Florida school district. So I actually do kind of feel bad for them. And they got caught <laughs> up in a... Uh, in an attack where they actually couldn't afford to pay the $40 million they wanted. So I think that was like the other thing is that some of these attacks are resulting in crazy ransomware demands. You just, so. know, you just know that the people behind the ransomware are like sitting around. They're like, man, <laughs> man, let's uh, 40 million. Just put in 40 million. Let's see what they say. Let's <laughs> see if they'll come back. And it probably, you know, and it probably works a bunch of time. I mean, we keep on saying crime doesn't pay kids unless you're into ransomware, because apparently that pays really well. So, oh, my God. Yeah. So those are the two that I had that I recently got uh, ransomware. But uh, we don't have to go into <laughs> what to do. Can I, can I, we're just going to talk about two like things. Cybersecurity obituaries. That's what, we're <laughs> yes, that's what I wanted to do. Just the cybersecurity obituaries. obituaries. These are the people hit with ransomware this week. Go ahead, Rob. <laughs> Yeah, can I? I just wanted to ask two things. What are currently the the top two, three protections against ransomware? Like, we're not going to get, we're not going to get rid of this. We're not going to have this stop being a news thing until we get it so to the point where the protections against ransomware are widely available. Like, AV is not doing, not not able to do this, right? So, what is what are the protections and what companies need to be involved? For this to be something we squash, like what is the vaccine to ransomware? Immutable backups. I mean, you know, no, because deal- backups are getting hit too. We well, no, I said immutable. Immutable mm. what? Backups, right? So oh, a backup. backup that you can't you, you can't change, right? But you I don't, don't think, have that ability. I, I agree that backups are important, but I, I, I don't. I think of that as like a corrective action. That's not a preventative action. And, and I think Rob was asking more like the preventative to, to do yep. that. So well, I wanted to ask, totally right? we don't deal a lot with this, right? But the, the Windows Defender ransomware protection, I've heard from a number of people that it's actually not sucky, but it's off by default. I don't know what people's thoughts are on that. I, I haven't used, it, used so. it. Yeah, And that might be the problem. I didn't know it was a thing. 
Let me go turn that on right now. Well, what it, so what it does is you monitor certain folders on your system. And if there's automated changes like encryption or anything to those folders, then it'll actually like monitor and block access to those folders. So you can go into like my documents and you could try to lock that down or something of that nature. There's a couple backup companies too, that are doing the same thing. They're offering, you know, that kind of level of uh, monitoring since the backup has the differentials and can tell it'll start seeing that there's a lot of files and then it will uh, pretty much go turn that, stop that from happening and then restore that automatically. Yeah. So you do have to sign up for OneDrive and and be able to sync all of your stuff to OneDrive, which Ooh. scares me kind of more than than um, <laughs> well than any ransomware because like can do you, you not trust I, Microsoft? Or, are you that what are you trying to say? Trust Microsoft. I just don't trust the general populace to have a locked down Windows like, account. Are you like, saying we don't trust people? I tend to fault um, or or err on the side of caution. (laughs) That's a nice, that's a nice, that's a nice step back. You know, but I I honestly think that advanced EDRs have done a great job. I mean, if you look at Silence and all these companies, they really had this very serendipitous, like rise at the exact same point that ransomware started taking off. And, you know, I, I think that they're fairly effective at stopping a lot of variants, not all, but I think that they do a pretty good job. And for to that end, I'm just going to throw in application allow listing. I, you know, if you're using application allow listing in an enterprise, ransomware becomes a lot more difficult in that scenario. Not impossible, but I would yeah. say if we're looking for a silver bullet or the closest thing we can to snake oil, that would probably be. <laughs> no. Um, I, I think that that would that's one of those things for me. I just wish that most organizations would just start moving towards, even if it's just for certain directories, directory based allow listing instead of l- allowing every single individual application by hash or something crazy like that. Just yeah. saying, hey, you know, the Windows directory, System thirty two, and uh, program files directories are allowed to execute. And just there, that's going to stop like the high nines of ransomware coming in. So that would be my contribution. Yeah, having having it so like my documents, the documents folder, you can't execute out of there. That and like and temp it becomes yep. yeah, yeah, would be would be fantastic. Um, oh my gosh, downloads is hands like we talked about this in uh, sacred cash cow temping, but downloads is my favorite DLL hijacking location, which like, is just crazy. Drop that Drop a version a of DLL there and you're good. Yeah, that shouldn't um, be a thing, Rob. That just yeah. shouldn't. So, so um, what, one thing that I did want to bring up is I like to like attack problems at, at the most basic. Like, So one of the things that I recently started thinking about is that, you know, the cyber attack kill chain thingamajig, right? I'm not a fan of it in general it from, from a defense point of view. Right, Lock. But I am when it comes to figuring out how to attack problems at their most base level. And one of the things that I like about racing by, uh, I forget his name off the top of my head, Florian Roth. So racing actually attacks ransomware at on Windows, at least, at its most basic level where it has to do something. And one of the cool things about this is that ransomware, when it first gets onto a Windows system, it tries to delete any any recoverability. And what that means in Windows is is the volume shadow copies and so it deletes the volume shadow copies if it can't delete the volume shadow copies then it doesn't run because it can't it can't guarantee that it'll do the thing right it doesn't want you to be able to recover 
the keys that it's putting on disk to then encrypt things, right? So like just the basic way ransomware works, right? This stops it from doing it. And what he's doing in racing is just blocking using application block lists and and um, hooking is to make it so that you can't delete volume shadow copies, which you should never really do, right? And so I'd love if Windows just removed that functionality, but like it just blocks that. So when ransomware gets on your system, it can't or decides not to do anything. And that's that that is a super elegant way of protecting against ransomware. I think a lot of people should start using this. And honestly, I think Windows should literally just remove that functionality completely. So so that the protection... What would be the reason, though, Rob? What would be the reason to need to delete it as a, as a user? I understand the system needs to overwrite it and update it over time, but why the hell would a user like? What's a legitimate reason for someone to be like, "I'm just going to blow away my volume shadow copy and blow away all of my backups"? <laughs> I know that some people space. do that. They recommend right. yeah for hard drive space. They're like, space, "Well, I yeah. want to free up but, some." But no one's, no one's losing hard drive space these days. Like, you can buy terabytes with you know cents on the dollar. So I I don't know. Like, I think that it, it was it was there because of hard drive space initially. Or, or other, you know, reasons where I, I think Microsoft tends to err on the side of giving the admins and users all of the capabilities that they can possibly want versus like locking it down by default because they, they're afraid that it might break things. Like, like tamper-proofing yeah. Defender took a while to be enabled by default because it might break things. So I think that as soon as like Microsoft gets on board with this kind of stuff and I think that racing will just turn into a Windows feature, hopefully sooner rather than later to stop this kind of that stuff. That gets into a question. There's times I wonder if Microsoft's security team actually does follow Florian and the Sigma project. <laughs> like, here's something really yeah, cool. Great. Microsoft doesn't recognize it for years. And then all of a sudden, Rosanovich comes out with something and they're like, brilliant. I, it's just. Oh. oh. <laughs> I'm not ripping on Mark. I'm just saying, you know, that yeah. sometimes it takes a long time for really obvious things to get put into Windows. Well, it might be because they're a monopoly. So if, what are you going to do, not use Windows? So if, you're, if, you're, <laughs> um, if your mom, dad, or if you work at an organization where you're, you're fearing about race, ransomware at all, check out the racing, install it, try it out. I have it on my own system, trying things out on VMs and stuff, especially. But it works fantastically well. And even the ransomware that I've downloaded from GitHub to try out for like CCDC and stuff stop because of this thing. So yeah. like it's, it's you know it's, awesome. it, it's funny. It sounds like you know whenever we talk about some of these things, it almost sounds like we're advertising them. Like it's like <laughs> now break from our show. Today we're going to be talking about racing. You know, I personally use racing. I use it all the time, and it works all the time. And, and I'll be I, like, I love I'm on and application whitelisting. It's like that, we're selling crap to people that's literally free. That's, that's you know we should have like a github minute or something where we just talk about repos you know that go along with this or something that'd be great i don't know oh just I be saw, like, so there was a couple of github repos in our in our team's server today where they were talking about edr bypass techniques and what what functions are actually being hooked by what endpoint protection products so mm-hmm. i think we should do that i think that that's a really really good idea and when our zine comes out at the front of our new magazine that's coming out, by the way, the 56% of you that are, or 56 of you. 56% of you that are paying attention. 
we're actually going to be releasing a zine with like a comic in it and stories. And, and we're going to have a section in there that's just cool tools that have been released on GitHub recently. So people can keep up to date with some of those things without having to like suffer through Twitter. Can we have a call to action? Can we say, if you're listening to this or watching it on YouTube or whatever, in the chat, uh, later, now, whatever, put your favorite GitHub tool. Put whatever you think people should be using more or whatever. And we're we're really focusing on new. Like, if you just found something and it's amazing. I'm putting Metasploit framework right now. Metasploit. (laughs) (laughs) You literally put in the GitHub project for GitHub. You asked. Um, no. Um, but yeah, links of kind of some underseen tools that need to get a little bit higher exposure would be awesome. Yeah, I think the, the how recent it is is kind of important as well. And because, or more importantly, like if it's still being maintained, I think that's a really, that's huge. some of these things, you know, somebody wrote a tool, they shared it with the masses, it was great. And then, you know, they just moved on with life. And that's fine. That's just kind of how it works, right? Yeah. But, you know, that, it might not work anymore. It might not be, you know, and somebody else may have actually came out or revamped it and brought it back into kind of, you know, this year because, you know, it's free. So nobody's obligated to keep updating so it. So. D for Jesse just shared this really cool tool from Ralphite, Ralphite, uh, build a fish <laughs> framework. I don't know if you've, if you've seen that one. It looks pretty script kitty though. Um, it definitely <laughs> is very scripty. D for Jesse, come into the rescue. so we just opened it up nice i will say that just going back to some of the comments that we've gotten i do understand that hard drive prices are a first will the space is a first world problem so i get that (laughs) yeah that is true yeah and they might have a bunch of computers that were bought at a later date i'm gonna counter that i'm gonna counter that with if you're worried about space on your hard drive, try to delete porn off the hard drive before you start getting rid of volume shadow copy. Oh, Just God. good systems administration 101. So super simple, or super quick war story. I was on an engagement and they had, it, it was for a bank and they had all of these files, every file that they had ever like stored on one big NAS and oh, everyone had administrative access to it. And it was like over 200 terabytes of just PDFs not lying oh my god that sounds horrifying so there is a point where maybe you should get a data retention policy so wait are you saying that (laughs) there would be a good thing in this point yeah you go in and you talk to the lead systems administrator they got like super long fingernails they're wearing garbage (laughs) bags their office is immaculate but they're like i've got to hoard something so i hoard the pdfs from our company i'll tell you right now the emc guy who was selling them that storage showed up in a porsche that's all (laughs) i gotta say (laughs) nice you don't want to you don't want to lose something you don't you don't want to lose anything no don't don't worry we'll we'll have extra backups extra drives i don't know i saw this podcast uh, online (laughs) and they said that storage is cheap so i bought a lot of them and he said it was good Yeah, well, actually, that's what they paid. It's Porsche prices for what they paid. If your bit-based deduplication take two terabytes down to 100 megs, you are storing the wrong stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So I got these books. The M is for malware from Curtis. You know, I got the series. They're absolutely amazing. He needs to have one, you know, like how compression works (laughs) for children. So. Oh, I got to get that for my kid. Read it to him at night. He'd oh, we've got it. M is for malware, B is for blue team, and R is for red team. 
Mm. Well, that's fantastic. MBR, so I think Master Boot Record? I'm not sure. So, is there a coloring section for you in there or what? Th- well, actually, there's <laughs> going to be a coloring section in our zine. Believe it or not, there's going to be a coloring section where you recreate a QR code that takes oh, okay. you to a URL that takes you to an escape room, and then you win prizes. Ooh, that actually sounds really fun. Yeah, because clearly I Do have I get my vaccine like, there? Huh? What's that? Do I get my vaccine there? Is that how I get my vaccine? Because like, it's still not in Gen Pop, so I'm waiting for that. It's like Nightmare on Elm Street. It just reaches out in your screen and jabs you in the arm, and it's like, Madera! All right, we should probably wrap this up. All right, Let's roll out. All right. Well, thank you very, very much, everybody, for coming. Uh, special thanks to Ralph. Thanks to Mubix. And always thanks to Ryan uh, for making us look far better than we have any right to. So with that, Ryan, you want to take us out? All right. You better go. have images to, that, that are good enough for, for the intro because like, that, yeah, that set up the stage way too high. Crazy. It's the same, it's the same video. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> well, that's great. We're one day totally <laughs> disappointed now. All right. Oh, oh, oh. I'm just All right. All right, go forth and do great things, everybody.